This week in particular are going to be diving into not just the spiritual gifts, we began to study those last week, how the Holy Spirit gives us particular gifts, but also some of the more supernatural, miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing. Who's excited for this weekend? I, I, I hope you're ready. It is a chilly 98 degrees outside, and it's going to be getting hot in her by the end of this message. And I hope that I wore my televangelist pants just to prepare myself. If you're new to the teaching series, man, I've shared like my, some of my beef with like televangelists and the abuse of particular gifts for financial gain. And believe me, you don't need that $54 million jet to tell people about Jesus. You could do that for free any day. I believe that sometimes Christians have used, though, their, their gifts immaturely. It doesn't discount that they actually exist. And so that's what we've been discussing and talking and looking at. And if you are here this weekend, we have a lot of different peoples. Maybe this is the you this weekend from this particular spiritual background. You grew up in a church that is more uh, charismatic or Pentecostal. And if you're new to Christianity, I'll explain some of this. But you had a really healthy experience. It grew your faith there. And you want other people to experience that. That may be you this weekend. It also may be you this weekend like me. You grew up not ever hearing about any of this kind of stuff. And it always made you feel really weird and strange and awkward. And I didn't, wasn't really looking for any of the things we're discussing about this weekend. Maybe that's been your experience. I've shared the last few weeks that was mine. Or maybe you're here this weekend and you're atheist or agnostic. You're searching out what you believe and trying to figure out what you believe about God. Again, we started this church for people just like that. So we have no expectations for you this weekend other than we're going to study the scripture, ask God to speak to us. We believe he's real, living and active. We believe that Jesus not only gave his life for us, he was crucified with a perfect sacrifice and atonement to cover up our mistakes so that anybody here, no matter what your past is, the things that you've done, the hurt and pain you have caused, if we truly repent, ask for forgiveness, and receive God's grace because of Jesus' sacrifice, his crucifixion on the cross, it can cover up for our mistakes that you and I could commune with a perfect God, that we could actually talk to God. That's what prayer is. And that he didn't just, wasn't just crucified, but on the third day, he rose again, overcoming death itself, that anybody who knows Jesus as their Savior and Lord can live eternally with him in heaven and experience him in their life now. And then because God's not just some angry God up in the sky with his magnifying glass looking down on the human anthill, a puppet master that doesn't care about his creation, he actually didn't just give us Jesus, his only son, God incarnate. He wasn't just crucified and rose from the grave. We know that the Holy Spirit was given to the early Christians so that you and I could be empowered to live differently in this dark world. As we've shared, you could actually be a light in the dark world that the church today should give people a glimpse of what God's actually like. Unfortunately, that's really not what churches are known for, are they? And so as we study this, this stuff really matters. I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, one of Paul, the apostle, who at one time had overseen the killing of Christians, a religious terrorist, 
But one authentic encounter with Jesus, it so dramatically changed his life, he went on to write much of the New Testament. And one of his latest letters was written in the early 60s AD to the church in Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians. In chapter 4, we're going to study what the church was to look like. So turn to Ephesians 4, power on your Bibles, and I'm eventually going to get there. You ready to study God's Word, church? John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, I would ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. We know that as Christians, if you receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross, an atoning sacrifice for our mistake and wrongdoing that anybody in this, excuse me, room right now or attending online could draw near to a perfect God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we don't just believe that he was crucified. We believe on the third day, he rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, that anybody here could live eternally with him in heaven and experience a relationship with him now. We also don't believe that God is an angry God with a magnifying glass looking down on the human anthill, that he actually cares about humanity. His desire is to change this world to make it look more like it should be until the return of Jesus and that he has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be a light in a dark world. And that because of that, the Holy Spirit is given to believers today that God did not leave you alone, that you were actually have the ability to do something, to make this world different, to commune with God to experience his work in your life. John 16, 7, Jesus uh, went on to say, but it's actually best for you if I go away. He's God incarnate, waited all these years for him to come, the Messiah, the anointed one, and he tells us it's better that he goes away. Why? Because if I don't, the counselor, the spirit, won't come. And if I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. Acts chapter 1, he is now resurrected, and he is about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And in verses 4 through 8, I'm going to read just the parts of that. It says, do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus said, but wait for the gift my Father promised. What gift is that? That you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you will be baptized, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You could go to the ends of the earth to live on the twofold mission we always talk about, to share your faith, proclaim the kingdom of God, and to help those in need. And that the Spirit empowers you as the gasoline in your tank to see all of that actually occur. So the Holy Spirit is given to the early church in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost came, if you're like, dude, what's the day of Pentecost? I don't understand this stuff sometimes. It's the day that the Holy Spirit was given to the early church. By the way, it was 50 days after the Passover, and the reason they were all in that house together is because they were celebrating the festival of weeks where they were praying for God's physical and spiritual provision. They did this every year. And that God originally was would send the rain on the agricultural calendar so they could have crops to make it through the year. But in this particular uh, year, he didn't just bring spiritual provision once or physical provision. He brought spiritual provision eternally and gave the Holy Spirit to them. They were all together in one place celebrating the festival. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now some of you, One of the questions is, what does the word tongues mean there? I'm going to talk about that later on. 
And, and yes, at times, it means other languages. We see that when Peter preaches the, the gospel and 3,000 people come to know him. But I believe also at other times, it's not talking about other human languages, and I'll explain that. Now, I know when we share that, there are different spiritual camps on this, and I want to tell you, I believe this is a, a, a thing in our church that should actually unify us and not bring division. Then when it comes to salvation issues and eternal issues, we have to all be on the same page. But on some of the secondary issues, we can sometimes agree to disagree. We can't disagree that the Holy Spirit is real and still living and active, but we can disagree about what that looks like today. Because some of us, you are like me, it's kind of weird or strange, and others of it, you've had this great experience, and others of it, you've been damaged and hurt, and you have seen those televangelists wearing their fancy pants on stages, on TV, making millions of dollars, asking for the $54 million plan because the last two weren't good enough. And we've seen churches use their spiritual gifts immaturely, and what I would say even at times in spiritually abusive ways. And so our goal would actually be to use these in mature ways, and we'll talk about that. The big question I want to ask each of you today, wherever you're at spiritually, uh, the, are the spiritual gift, supernatural spiritual gifts of the Spirit for today? And if so, what are their purpose? What are their purpose? Will you pray with me? God, we just acknowledge, first of all, that everybody's going to be participating this weekend, that we come from different spiritual backgrounds. I pray that you take any word away from me, that it would be forgotten before they walk out these doors or they turn their computer screen off, if it's not of you. And if it is of you, that it would change our lives and we would conform to what your desire for our life is. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. James, I'm gonna take that now. Thank you. Dude, that was a sharp pass. It was a sharp pass. You know, I don't, we all know LeBron is going to be coming to the Pacers very soon, so I just wanted to, that ain't happening. Um, who's glad that that's not happening? You don't want to win championships, apparently. But, uh, man, I just wanted to share this. The reason we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 first is because I want to use that as the lens in which we read about the spiritual gifts, in particular the miraculous ones that we're eventually going to get to. And I don't know what the best team you've ever been on is, but the best team I was ever on was a fifth grade basketball team. I don't know what that says about my basketball career, but that's when it occurred. My buddies and I played against a player, I believe he was a year older than us, but playing with some younger players. He, his name was Jared Odell. Anybody ever heard of Jared Odell? <laughs> like two people, that's great. That really helped my illustration. Jared played for the 2002 Indiana Hoosiers that went to the national championship. And then because they're the Lord's team, out of their humility, they allowed the other team to win. It's amazing. But when I was in fifth grade, we played against Jared Odell, and he was about six foot one at the time. I'm pretty sure he could grab the rim. We didn't have anybody on our team who could do that. By far the best, most gifted player. But on that particular day, the Union City community fifth grade team defeated the Oak Hill team by one point, by one point. 
Because, you see, we were a great team together. My buddy Craig could grab the boards. He was a little taller than the rest of us. My friend Eric, he was super fast and athletic and could score a lot of points. And I was really good at encouraging my teammates, you know. (laughs) And by all of our gifts together, we became a real team that did something we couldn't have done individually. While I was skilled on the handles, I could not take Jared Odell even then to the rim. We can accomplish things together that we can't accomplish apart. Thanks, honey. Nice catch. The point being, I believe the greatest team, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the best team you should ever participate on is a local church. I believe the scriptures teach that, that when we come together, we can accomplish things that we could not accomplish apart. And it's not just about our talents and abilities, it's actually about those spiritual gifts that we studied last week. So I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read 16 verses very quickly, so I hope you keep up. I'm going to get to some of those supernatural spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing that I described earlier, but I want to do that through the lens of understanding the role it plays in the greater church, because otherwise we will have a lot of individual gifts being used and not understand their purpose. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I told you I'd get there. As a prisoner, Paul writes, he is now in prison. He's in one of his later uh, letters. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We know in Acts chapter 10, Paul leads the Ephesus church to know Jesus, and and then the Holy Spirit is given to them, as we looked at last week in verse 6 of Acts chapter 19. Verse 2, but completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received, and bear with each other in love. That's what the church should look like. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity. You read that? The first time it mentions the Holy Spirit here, it will say to keep the unity of the Spirit that sometimes we can disagree about some things, but actually the Holy Spirit should unify us through the bond of peace, it says there. He goes on in verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And then we get to verse seven. And I want you to underline or circle the word grace in this passage, even if it's in the Bible in your book rack, we'll remind people later on, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We'll leave that up there for just a moment. The word grace there in the Koine Greek that this was originally written in, wasn't written in English, is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. If you're taking notes or participating online, that's C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It's where we get the word in Greek charismata or charismatic from. In other words, it's saying the grace that is given in this passage as Christ apportioned it is the spiritual gifts that we studied last week and that we all have a different spiritual gift mix because it's as Christ apportioned it. He goes on to describe that you were given a gift and proclaim that in verse 8 here. It says, this is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. You were graced with particular spiritual gifts when you gave your life to the Lord and received his Holy Spirit in your life. Verse 11, we'll skip down to verse 11 here. The reason we're given these spiritual gifts is to fulfill these five ministries that every local church should fulfill. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors or shepherds, and teachers. You're like, dude, what is that? Apostles are just the pioneering leaders. They were the ones sent out, I mean sent ones. People who, that's really what the Multiply Conference is all about. And I think we're getting close to exceeding our early bird goal. And so I'll, I'll tell you that that is really about connecting with pioneering leaders in our culture. Uh, 
Uh, prophets, we talked about some last week, and we'll talk about more today. It's not like weird, like read somebody's palm or crystal ball or something like that. It is actually just hearing from the Lord. You believe in prayer, right? So if we can talk to God, then when we hear from him, sometimes people are gifted in a way that they can speak into particular people's lives. And we'll d- discuss that a little bit more. But these different five ministries are all given. Why? Verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that the body of Christ may be built up. So when Jesus came on the planet, he we had waited all this time for the anointed one, the Messiah that the Jewish community had been waiting for. And when he finally comes, God incarnate, fully God, fully human. For 33 years, people got a perfect example of how God desired for them to live. They could look at him and go, man, that's what God is like. I want more of that. When he was crucified and rose from the grave, and then he meets the Christians in Acts 1 that we read, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. So he leaves, his presence is no longer here. But in Acts 2, the church is given the Holy Spirit that before the crucifixion and resurrection and the ascension, though God's presence was on earth, and after it, it was still here through the Holy Spirit. So what changed? You see, when Jesus was here, there was a physical body on the planet. What is the physical body of Christ today? It's the Christians of the local church. That's why we refer to the church as the body of Christ that when you and I use our spiritual gifts together, we fulfill these five particular ministries. See, it goes on in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That until we come together, use our gifts to fulfill those five ministries, the local church is not mature. And we only see the full measure of Christ today in our society and culture in this dark world when we see people truly come together and allow the Holy Spirit to use their lives and their gift mixes together. Almost fell off. (laughs) And tell that in our culture, especially today, what we get too often are Christians leading isolated, self-focused, siloed faith backgrounds. Rather than coming together and accomplishing spiritually what we would never be able to accomplish separately. We only see the full measure of Christ in our culture when we come together and use them to fulfill his purposes with our lives, to be a light in this dark world. Verse 14 to 16, then we will no longer be infants. We won't be so immature anymore when we actually see the full measure of Christ there, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead of just having an individual siloed Christians who get all of their teaching from one person on a television and that sometimes it can be deceptive and sometimes it's beneficial, but it can be destructive in people's lives when we don't come together in the local church. Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him who the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians will go on to talk more about the body of Christ and that, you know, a kidney by itself is not really a helpful thing. But within the context of the greater body, it is a life-giving thing. And while the New Testament, we said last week, has over two dozen spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives out and different ones to different people as Christ apportioned it, remember, because not everybody has the same stuff, then we could utilize and use those things together to fulfill those five ministries, to see the fullness of Christ and lead other people to him. There we get the full body of Christ represented. 
If you're like, well, dude, I, don't, I missed last week. What's a spiritual gift? A quick reminder, a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability to do God's work. And that means that the church, if you're taking notes, is the primary vehicle for God's work on earth. Because we use our gifts together, the primary vehicle is the local church to make an impact. We only become the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, though, when we use our gifts together. We never see the full plan God has for us as followers of Jesus until we use our gifts together and see the full measure of Christ. Any products of the 80s that remember the A-team? Come on now. Now, I know B.A. Baracus was the coolest, right? And, and the Murdoch man was pretty funny sometimes. And face, I mean, just face was great. But Hannibal was the best, hands down. And he always had that line, I love it when a plan comes together. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's almost as if God is saying, until you use your gifts together, you'll never see the full measure of Christ. The plan is never coming together until we do that. I don't know about you, but I want to see God's plan for humankind come together in our lives. Amen? See, he goes on. Uh, one final point I'd like to make, though, is it's not just whether you've received the Holy Spirit, but how much do you allow him to empower you in your life? How much do you allow him to empower you in your life? I told you last week in Ephesians, uh, in the church in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, verse 6, they were Christians. They knew Jesus. They had salvation, but they had never received the, the gifts of the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 11, Peter goes to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, meaning not of Jewish descent. In verse 15, he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. And he begins to describe the experience of the Holy Spirit in their life. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That this experience of being used by God and being gifted to make an impact is actually a, a, a very biblical thing. And I'm not telling you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, but I am telling you that for me personally, it was something I was really uncomfortable and not open to. And it was actually John Piper, when describing Acts 11, writes this. This isn't like, an, uh, this is common theology. The baptism is in the, uh, excuse me, the baptism in the spirit is an experience of the spirit given after faith to faith. Given after faith to faith. You may know Jesus but maybe the area of growing and openness to what the Holy Spirit could do in your life is like me, where we could grow in, for you personally or as a church. I compare it to something like this, man. When I first became a Christian and found my identity in Christ and I first started being filled with the Holy Spirit, I began to experience him. Um, and I began to know that uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and I surrendered myself and I asked for forgiveness. I had a radical life change, man, at 19 years old living uh, or being active in a fraternity house at DePaul University, home of the Tigers. Never any shares for that, not one. <laughs> Do we have any Wabash grads out there? I don't know what it is, so many Wabash people here. But I was, this was me. The Holy Spirit wanted to pour into my life, but I was really happy with where I was, and I had kind of a cap on that. I wasn't really comfortable with him working more fully in my life. I love the idea of not going to hell. Like, that was great. But the idea of God using me, and I didn't, wasn't just about me being filled, but investing in others, that was far from me. And then I began to receive God in my life, and I saw I began to be open to what God might have for me, and he began to fill me up just a little bit in my life, and I was pretty content. I'd have been fine just putting the cap back on the bottle. 
Because I knew Jesus, I had salvation, I was hearing from him a little bit in my life, and then I moved to Southern California as I went to seminary, worked at a mega church out there, and I was teaching junior hires through the Gospel of Luke. And I got to a passage that talked about demons. And I realized I knew Jesus, I believed I was going to heaven, I was ministering to others, and I did not believe in demons. And I began to read all of the New Testament, and I was really convicted, I was like, Jesus believed in demons. If my whole faith is based off of him, and he believed that, there is a spiritual element to this faith that I have not been open to. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're like me. My parents are here in the back back there. I am a son of a lawyer and a high school guidance counselor. We value education. I grew up in a great local church, but I didn't really hear any of this kind of stuff. Maybe that's you, man. And so for me, I began to open myself up and I began to study scripture more and I began to see, man, there is a spiritual battle biblically going on for our soul, even right now in the room that God is trying to break through in some of our lives and we want to put the cap back on and like, I've got, I don't want to go to hell, but I've got, a, I got enough of this. And after that began to happen, I began to open myself up more. And I, I was working at this Baptist church, and we began to pray for, for, for things like the Bible teaches us. I'll show you, like for healing, and that God would use our, our lives more, and that if God is real and we can communicate to him, we can hear from him. And I began to be, and I want to indicate, I'm not saying that I didn't have the Holy Spirit before, I wasn't empowered by the Holy Spirit, but I was allowing the Holy Spirit to use my life more and more. and became more open. I began to overflow. At times, I don't, but at other times I begin to overflow with God in my life. And it's not just to benefit me personally and fill me up, but it's actually overflowing into other people's lives. Have you ever seen someone who has been with the Lord and it's just, oh, you like want to get nearer to them? Because you just feel the love of God with them when you encounter them and you interact with them? That, that these giftings are meant to overflow in our lives to make an impact beyond just ourselves. You see, finally, I want to teach on those things that I said I would begin with, that not all of these gifts that we've studied, the more than a couple of dozen, are the same or have the same benefits, right? There's the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism. There's a lot of different gifts, but I want to give you biblical insight on those three more miraculous ones that people have questions about or debate about. And the first one I'm going to spend most of the remainder of the time on, which is tongues. <laughs> Here's some biblical insight on tongues. Number one, and again, we may have some people who disagree with me. I'd love to talk with you, but I believe speaking in tongues is a biblical thing. It's hard to read the New Testament, I believe, and disagree. And I'll share in a moment why. Verse one of 1 Corinthians 14 Paul writes to the church in Corinth, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. We said this last week, I read this last week, that not all gifts are the same, that in the moment we'll read that prophecy is actually a greater gift because it benefits other people. It doesn't mean that the gift of tongues is not valuable. It's definitely valuable. But if I have a, I'm, given, I'm completely broke and somebody gives me $100, that's amazing. It's, a, it's, it's great. But if I'm completely broke and someone gives me $100 and then also gives me $100 for each one of my friends, that's a greater amount. And that's really what it's getting at here in this passage. It goes on in verse 2 to say, for anyone who speaks in a tongue. Now, here's the thing. I believe this passage in particular, I disagree with some out there 
who fall into a camp in Christianity known as cessationism, that the uh, gifts of the Spirit, on, uh, like tongues, has ceased to exist today. Cessation with a C, ceased to exist. And there are some people that I, I admire their devoutness to Scripture, like John MacArthur, and, and has a, you know, there's some great character, and God can use people, and absolutely. But on this particular uh, issue, I, I disagree And the reason is, look what it says here. I don't believe this is another language because anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. And then it goes on to say, indeed, no one understands them. If this is another language, why can no one, not some people, but no one understand them? If it is a human language, then people should understand it. So you're like, dude, what does that mean then? What does tongues mean in that spiritual sense? Uh, we believe biblically that that is when the Holy Spirit is, can speak through you and you may not even understand what you are saying. And I'm going to tell you right now, not only did that weird me out for a really long time, I even finally became open to it and I prayed for years that I'd receive that particular gift. And it never happened for me until about seven and a half years ago. And I've never shared this in our church. I was praying and it was when I had been fasting a lot and we were going through everything with our son Jackson who ended up passing away and I'll describe that in a little bit here. But as I was uh, as I'd been fasting, I went to one of our outposts and people weren't praying about tongues or anything, but they laid hands and prayed for me over that particular issue. And I had this moment where I felt this like, I wanted to like say a bunch of stuff that I didn't understand. And so I just started blurting everything out because I'm so spiritual. No, <laughs> dude, I kept that quiet because that's weird. I just shut my mouth. I did not say a word because I was afraid. And I went home that evening. I didn't even tell my wife this for a long time. I went home that evening and like I got in my room, made sure nobody could see or hear. I even hid behind the bed and I just started praying on my knees and, and just began to let some of this stuff out and believed I was just communing with God in that moment. And it really began to grow my faith in him. Now, I would have been fine. I would have been going to heaven. God would have been using me if I had never experienced that. But it was just one way that the, the Spirit had begun to use me that I could begin to connect with him more. I don't believe it to be a language because no one understood them. And also, look at the end of verse 2. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. If it's a mystery by the Spirit, if it's a language, someone should understand it. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Again, a greater gift, as I'll look at here in a moment. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. So if it's like this angelic tongue or whatever, where does that come from? Well, some would point to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, so it references two different languages there, right? Of humans or of angels. Then, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So it acknowledges this other way of speaking. I believe speaking in tongues. But also, what does it say right after that? If you got that, but you don't have love, you're just a clanging cymbal in this dark world. And I believe in some churches today, we way overemphasize the role of the gift of speaking in tongues today. And so I also want to talk about that. It's an amazing gift. It's a valuable gift, but it's not the end all, be all. In fact, number two, there are some order that the Apostle Paul asked the, the local church to have. Uh, when someone speaks in tongues publicly, they should, there should be an interpreter. There should be an interpreter 1 Corinthians 14, 27 to 28, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak. One at a time, and someone must interpret. 
to hear, okay, this is what the Lord is saying, we believe. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. I don't think there's a lot of biblical precedent for what I described me praying to the Lord in tongues in that moment. I also don't think there's anything against it. And in this passage, it says, if there's no interpreter, just go do it privately with the Lord. And sometimes that could be a great way to connect with God before you begin to speak into somebody's life. In fact, it goes on in 1 Corinthians 4.23 and says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues... So some of you are like, but wait a second, in the book of Acts, there are these moments where they receive the Holy Spirit and everybody starts speaking in all these tongues. That's the way it should happen. And so we should have that publicly and everybody should do it at the church as an act of worship. I disagree. I believe that's immaturely using this particular gift because Paul, trying to bring order in the church of Corinth, says otherwise and contradicts that, number one. And number two, the four times that happens in the book of Acts, it's the first time they receive the gift. So it's only natural that they would be using it immaturely at that time and not using it as a way to benefit others. And also, Paul actually tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, in this passage, that you're actually going to drive people away by doing that. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? So the first time I ever walked into a place where that was going on, I literally walked in and they're all doing it and they're all saying everything and I walked right back out because <laughs> I didn't understand. I didn't know what in the world was going on. Now the New Testament does see, say that tongues can be assigned to the unbeliever to point people to God. Absolutely. If we educate and do it in context and do it in the order that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 14, Otherwise, it's actually hindering the very thing God wants to empower you to do. Number three, woo, we're preaching, aren't we? Number three, speaking in tongues does not strengthen the entire church, just the individual. Just the individual. And it's one of the reasons I think sometimes we overemphasize this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but Paul writes, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. He goes on in verses 18 to 19 to say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see that? And yet, we have churches that break some of this order that Paul asks of us every single week. And look, I think sometimes that can be excused for some of us that put the cap on and aren't open to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Absolutely. But we have to critique both sides. Number four, the final thing I want to say, a biblical insights on speaking in tongues, you do not have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now look, Yes, it can be a great sign that you have the Holy Spirit. And yes, I believe too many people aren't open to what God may have them. And if you are someone here and it's, you're like me, it always kind of weirded you out, I just ask you, don't be afraid of any gifts that the Lord might want to give you. But I also think it's clear in Scripture that not everybody, remember, Christ apportioned different gifts to different people. It's like saying if some people have the spiritual gift of, of tongues, that everybody should have that, then, well, shouldn't everybody also be a teacher and everybody should be an evangelist and everybody should have all of the spiritual gifts then? It's the same argument for the other side that I use for the cessationist. I would say if God has ceased the miraculous gifts for today, but I guarantee you believe that God has given you the, the gift of teaching, why did God stop some of the gifts and not all of it? If it's the same Holy Spirit, it should be apportioned just as the scriptures teach us. 
So I believe that all of them are for today, but not everybody has all of them. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. Now you are the body of Christ, remember? We use our gifts together, better together than apart, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in this church, first of all, apostles, prophets, teachers that we mentioned earlier, then the miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. But then he says, and he's kind of almost a little bit condescending here, guys, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. We know that's true. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. But we are, he says here, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. That we should desire the gifts of the Spirit in our life. I mentioned I'd say uh, prophecy and healing, and I'm going to do that very quickly, but I knew that is the big one that people have questions over. Prophecy in particular, again, not like crystal ball, read my palm type stuff, but we hear from God, we pray, so we hear from him, and some people are able to speak into other people's lives, and it benefits that person, that family, or even the greater church. We read those passages multiple times now that, that Paul actually says this is one of the greater gifts that we should live out here in the church. It's one of the five ministries of the early church in Ephesians chapter four. Prophecy is number one, biblical, and number two, prophecy does benefit the entire church when it's used maturely. There are those who don't live out all of Ephesians four and aren't becoming the mature church. They use it for personal gain. They use it for lording over people. They use it for seeing that I'm gonna say this to you and because I'm a prophet, I'm gonna tell you what you need to do. When we do this, by the way, everything we're discussing, we do it every single week in our prayer room. And, and when we pray over people, we encourage them to say, I believe the Lord is saying this, and I want to share this. Go check this, confirm it. I'm not God, but I'm trying to be a vessel for him. I literally, over a year ago, had uh, Debbie Kallenbeck pray for me in that prayer room and say something specific that she, I don't think she truly understood what she was saying, that actually led us to partner and planting eight churches over the last two years. So we believe it, we utilize it, we pray, we hear from God, and then we actually uh, share that with others. Finally, healing. Praying for healing is biblical. Um, James chapter 5 is clear, clear on this. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. He goes on to say this, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I'm sharing this with you that I believe it's biblical as someone who prayed for the physical healing of my son Jackson with a genetic disorder and he died. So I don't say this lightly. But it's very clear in the Bible that we are to pray for these things and we don't always get to determine how God answers our prayer. We have faith. I had faith that it would happen. I believed 100% it was going to happen. That wasn't God's best plan for my son's life. And we often say, I don't think he's up in heaven wishing he lived 70 or 80 longer years on this planet to be used less by the Lord because we got to lead hundreds of people to surrender their life to Jesus because of our son's story. That the Bible has great stories of faith. Read Hebrews chapter 11 where God makes the sun stand still. He made the Red Sea part. He does incredible, miraculous things. But read the end of Hebrews 11 too. It also says that others lived destitute, hiding in caves, sawed it too for their faith, burned at the stake. That we don't get to determine the outcome of our life, but we get to determine whether we are faithful in asking for prayer. The final thing about healing is that there is no faith formula for healing. In the Bible, it's not that if I have enough faith, 
then God is gonna heal this particular person and do what I've asked. We either have faith or we don't. And you look at the passage like, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move this mountain from here over to there. It's not that you need more and more faith. He says, look, you don't need very much faith. You just need faith as small as a mustard seed. There is no faith formula. I took that language actually from John Wimber, one of the great North American faith healers who started the Vineyard Church movement all over the world. He didn't believe in a faith formula. He just believed in faith. By the way, John Wimber, I believe, died in his early 60s from cancer. We don't get to determine how God answers our prayers. We get to determine how faithful we are in that moment. Do we ask for it? And so we anoint people with oil. My wife even has oil she brought back from Israel that we will anoint you with and pray that God will bring physical healing to you spiritual, emotional healing. We will pray and, and pray over people in their life. We will ask God to give you gifts of the Spirit, absolutely, but not because you need a particular gift or a particular thing, because now you're a good Christian. And too many people have had things lorded over them and spiritually abused in their lives, rather than realizing that this, these are gifts from the Holy Spirit to change this dark world, that Christians today are meant to be the light in the darkness, that when people look at us, they should see the full measure of Christ and go, man, God is real. He is living. He is active. There is hate and there is violence and there is persecution and there is racism and there is sexism and there are people that don't care for others, but not those people because those people, I see the full measure of Christ because they know and love Jesus and the Holy Spirit has used their gifts together to fulfill the five ministries and I can't deny it. That's why this stuff is so important. And so as we close in prayer and worship, I'm gonna invite you, if you need prayer for something specific, come over here. We're gonna pray for you. It's not weird, it's biblical. And then for some of us, whether for the first time or maybe you are a Christian, but you're gonna open yourself up fully to God and his Holy Spirit's work in your life, I'm gonna invite us to do that. Will you pray with me, God? First of all, we confess that no one in here is perfect. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It also tells us that if we confess you as Lord of our lives, we can have salvation. We can have you in our life. We can receive the gifts that your Holy Spirit wants to give us, not for our own personal gain or selfish desires, but for the betterment of others. And so if you're here today and you'd like to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ or, or fully receive the Holy Spirit into your life, pray with me silently as I pray this out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I don't want to do this life alone. I've had the cap on for too long and I'm opening myself up fully to you. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I ask for forgiveness for my mistakes. I believe and receive your grace. And now I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill me fully with your Holy Spirit. I am fully yours. God, we love you. May we be overflowing with you in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.